Before we welcome the four of them all out here, please uh, give a warm welcome to Susan and Evelyn's dear friend, Martina McBride. Hello. So excited. Hello and welcome to the live season finale of the Shady Ladies of Music City. I have known these shady ladies for a very long time, and I love to hear their stories, but you have to take them with a grain of salt. These tales and opinions are not for the faint of heart, and this podcast is not suitable for children. But then, neither is the music business. So light one up and lighten up. Please welcome to the stage Susan Nadler, Evelyn Shriver, and Monument Records co-presidents Jason Owen and Shane McAnally. Come on, come on, honey. All right. That was awesome. (laughs) You did a great job. Thank you, Martina. Nice to you. Yes, perfect. Susan. <laughs> Thank you. What about my, my thing is down here? Susan, that mic is hot. The mic's okay. on now, Susan. I don't know that that's going to change anything, but... No. Hi. <laughs> Hi. I was trying to make them not talk uh, when we were in the green room back there because every single thing they were saying, anybody was talking about it. I was like, oh, wait, wait, let's go out there and talk about it. So... Uh, we are really excited, and I have loved every moment of listening to uh, this podcast. And I mean, a lot of the stories I knew, um, a lot of the stories had some extra, extra flair. <laughs> <laughs> Although we were talking about how when, when Susan tells a story, a lot of time after she's told all of the details, <laughs> Evelyn will say, that's not what happened. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> But it is. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just going to ask a few questions uh, of the ladies, and, and Jason and I consider ourselves the new shady ladies. Um, and we thought it would be fun to sit out here and just, you know, catch up with them and let you guys hear some even more behind the scenes than what they gave before. So thanks for coming and hanging out. Well, thanks for putting us on a label. It's the strangest thing in the world <laughs> to be on a label. I know, we and were And to shocked. have you guys as the head of our label. And actually, I went on the website uh, a couple of months ago, and I saw us on it, and it was just shocking to see the artist and then the shady ladies. <laughs> so it's... I, everything just, goes around, I guess. I just hope y'all don't talk bad about your uh, label mates. <laughs> no, no, no. We'll talk like, about, about I, everyone I listen else. to everything on the uh, label, so I, you know, could be informed. How did you guys first meet? I know that it's in the, the first episode, but let's just talk about that real quick, and then I want to move into how we all met. Well, I was visiting. I wasn't visiting. I was living here, and uh, <laughs> I was representing Tammy Wynette, and Tammy was on the Marlboro Country Music Tour with Randy Travis. And there's no tours like that anymore where uh, people and, and uh, big companies sponsor country music tours. I don't think there's that there There's none are. of them anymore. Mm-hmm. What do you think happened? I don't know. I don't know what happened. There I think so that there's many. plenty of tour sponsorships, don't you think, there's Jason, some. Yeah, as a there's manager? Still some. Yeah, there's still some. Like Geico. Like <laughs> Geico is one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know, but Marlboro was pretty cool. But... Uh, <laughs> 
Marble. That one you could smoke. That's and right. Benson and Hedges was one too. And the fact is that I had to do a whole <laughs> tour with all these blues artists who were on Benson and Hedges. So I had Little Milton and Bobby Blue Bland and Johnny Taylor, and I had to media train all these guys. How does this go to go you to meeting Evelyn? Yeah. <laughs> well, so Evelyn was uh, with Randy, and I was with Tammy, and I uh, met Evelyn, and I thought, oh my God, you know, a really intelligent Jewish woman down here, single. I should befriend her. And of course, I found out she wasn't Jewish, and she wasn't <laughs> single. But she was very intelligent. So I befriended her. One out of three. <laughs> and we had a great time. Uh, Tammy and Randy really got along fabulously. They toured together on that time. They toured together. And uh, I got to spend a lot of time with Evelyn. And she kind of gave me tips about what was going on in the music business because I had no idea. I was a book writer and I had had a popcorn stand in Key West. And so that's why you get popcorn. <laughs> that's why there's popcorn that's why there's here tonight. Serving popcorn today. It was great popcorn. We had uh, Italian, East Indian, Captain Tony special, and Mexican. Did you know? Was there an actual Captain Tony? There was. We were next to the busiest bar in Key West. It was the first time I ever saw a drag show, and they all came out as like Liza Minnelli and Barbara Streisand, the people that were big then. And Dolly. A dolly, and I sold a lot of popcorn then. We made about $650 a week, me and my partner, selling popcorn, which was a huge amount. Was this Shel Silverstein, your this partner? Is, this is how I met Shel. <laughs> he came up to buy some popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> so, Evelyn, what did you think when you first met Susan? <laughs> well, she was very persistent, and she was kind of pushy, truthfully, you know, and I... I'm kind of shy and laid back, and um, she was determined that we were going to be friends, and she called me a bunch, and uh, I remember we went to a Jewish deli in uh, Hillsborough Village that what was no the name longer of that? exists. Stage deli? Um, stage, deli? stage deli? And um, we just started, you know, being friends, and then she had gone into a management company that didn't work out, and I, I Stan Morris's management company. <laughs> he had everybody at that management company everybody back then he had don williams he had ronnie Millsap. he had kt he had laurie morgan he had roger miller he had uh well, he had a lot of people restless heart it didn't work out and i had extra offices so i said why don't you move into my building why didn't it work out susan well, <laughs> they got mad because I was very artist-oriented. Mm -hmm. And I became very friendly with Ronnie and Laurie and KT and everybody. And, you know, they didn't, that wasn't the way they thought you were supposed to do the music business. I'm not talking about Stan. I'm talking about the people that worked for him. And they got mad. And I ended up that Laurie asked me to manage her. And I ended up leaving to manage Laurie. And, you know, oh, my God, that was a huge brouhaha. There were no female managers <laughs> then. And 
It was not good. But anyhow, I ended up <laughs> moving over to Evelyn's offices and doing PR and was just shocked at how much money I could make. Because as a book writer, you that make no you money. That's how crazy she is. She went from management, which had all the, all money, the money, to PR, PR that got paid less than the bus driver. I mean. <laughs> That's what tells you how crazy she is. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> But we did, we made a lot of money doing PR. What are you talking about? We did a lot of things. Show me the receipts. We had a lot of clients. Yeah, so. I had no life. <laughs> well, I, a lot of with PR that, I mean, and that sort of really speaks to the way you got into the business. And then ultimately I know that your PR background, you were really, are you raising your hand because you want to ask a question? <laughs> She's no. just stretching. <laughs> I'm just thinking, Jason was a great publicist, too. And when you went over to Universal, you helped with a lot of the publicity. I did. That's how we met. That's Luke. how we met, with Lukey. Mm -hmm. and you I remember eating at the, having lunch at the Palm with you and Lauren. Oh, that's right. With Luke and Lauren. And then the next time I met you, Susan, you were pulling up in your Mercedes, wearing a fur, fur coat, listening to Snoop Dogg. With that's a right. Puff <laughs> of marijuana smoke coming out of the car as you were driving. Well, that's one thing. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't change, but now I can't smoke anymore. Why not? Because recently I had a little incident. I was in the hospital for several weeks, and they never figured out what was wrong. And they did uh, brain scans. They did MRIs. They did what is it, a spinal taps. And they never could figure out what was wrong. I was confused, and I couldn't walk correctly. And their big thing was, that's why they call it practicing medicine. <laughs> and I thought, that's great. They call it practicing medicine because they don't know what they're doing. And how can they? <laughs> they don't. Oh, they said we call it practicing medicine because, you know, no one's really sure what's going on. That's good. They thought I had water on my brain and they wanted to put a shunt in and do all this stuff. And I said, well, what happens if that's not it? They said, well, <laughs> They said, don't worry. They said, it could just be early onset dementia. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's great to know. I'm 72 and it's early onset. <laughs> well, Susan, Susan did tell me this morning, we were talking on the phone, and she said that... Um, she said that her doctor told her she probably had 10 years left. And I said, oh, Susan, you've, you've survived so much. You'll probably live way longer than that. And she said, no, I'm good with 10 years. <laughs> um, but I am interested what you, what, what, what would you want to do with that, those 10, 10 years, years if that were actually true, if you knew that to but be true. But she's been saying we have 20 summers left for about 20 years. <laughs> Every summer, right. we have 20 summers left. You do want to write? I'd want to write more, and I'll tell you, I wish that I could sing, because I would be so happy <laughs> to be in the music business. And sing. No, well, I can't, but, you know. <laughs> but but I, she's tried. She's recorded many songs. I did. I used to manage Lori Morgan, <laughs> and she was very encouraging of my singing. And when Garth Brooks was doing his big phase, Chris Gaines... I thought, well, if he can do it, I can do it. And I, <laughs> yeah. Remember when he did Chris Gaines oh, and yeah, he came yeah. out with, I went in with Laurie and her producers, James Stroud and Richard Landis, and they let me record. I did Misty Blue. Oh. 
We should release song. those. <laughs> I actually worked those. in the studio with you once when you recorded a song, uh, when you came in and sang on the Casey Musgraves track. Oh, for I did. The pageant material record. Casey is fantastic. Yes, we Casey are. can really sing, as could Laura. You know, Casey's father sells popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> did you know that, Casey? Yeah, I found that out today. Casey and I have laughed about that several times. Her father has a, sells popcorn. It always comes back to it the comes popcorn. Back to the popcorn. <laughs> comes back to the popcorn. How did this whole thing, I rem- the whole idea of a podcast, especially through Monument, what was the sort of first conversation do you guys remember? Jason uh, and I were having our annual, annual. bi-monthly breakfast yeah. at annual Knoxville. <laughs> and Jason said... Bi-monthly meaning... Twice a month, not <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. Jason said it would be really great if you could record, you know, some of your thoughts and tell some of your stories. He said, and you and Evelyn know so many stories, but they're not stories, they're truth. He yeah. said, and you could tell those stories and it would be really good and you should do a podcast. Of course, I had never listened to a podcast. And it still hasn't. And still haven't. <laughs> but Jason was very far seen. He was very smart and very creative. And he suggested that we do a podcast. And we talked to Evelyn about it. And she was not, she was not hesitant, but she was not overly enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> on any, on, with anything, actually. No, of anything. But she got into it as time went by, and we found, and he said he was going to let his, his staff, who were wonderful, let them find out, you know, how you do a podcast, because I wanted to know, how do you monetize a podcast? <laughs> right. That was her first question. Yeah. So have you found out the answer to that? <laughs> not really. You saw... <laughs> Don't you it's sign that with the label? Thing with the labels. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you end up just having popcorn at your party. <laughs> That's right. Hey, That's right. it was an open bar. Let's all give them credit. That was very generous. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> We've had so many laughs doing the podcast because the thing is that so many people, the young people today, hardly know any of the history of country music. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we were on a plane with Clint Hyam, at, who's Kenny Chesney's manager, and a number of people. And he w- had a, uh, an artist with him who didn't even know that Alan Jackson was a writer. Mm. And, you know, Alan, in my opinion, is one of the best writers of his whole generation. That is crazy. Um, that actually reminds me of the way I was first introduced to you. I don't even know if you know this. And Clint, I don't know if Clint's here, but he would probably kill me for telling this, but... You. Yeah, Susan gets no more free rides. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, when I first moved back to Nashville after being gone for a while, Clint, I stayed with Clint, and um, he would always tell me about you and these amazing stories. And he and I share a love, just like with Jason, of, of country music tradition, and, and we always want to know what was happening behind the scenes. And there was some story that you told. I'm not going to say who, is it about, who it was about because it's, it, it, there's some pretty good details. Uh, but um, Clint was like, I, I really want you to meet Susan, <laughs> but mostly so she can tell you this story. And so he... <laughs> do you know what you did? Yeah, I do. Okay. 
So, Are you okay with it? Are you okay with me telling this? <laughs> what story is it? Well, actually, what happened was he <laughs> called me, and then he called you, but didn't tell you I was on the phone. Fuck a bunch uh, of Ronnie Millsap. Fuck a bunch of Ronnie Millsap. <laughs> I don't know who is that? It was. <laughs> and he said, tell the story about, about what Sylvia. Sylvia Rohn said to you. And I just laid there. It was almost like I was listening to an old radio show, uh, you know, just with an interview or something. I just laid there listening to this voice that I was, you just have such a way of telling stories. And then luckily I got to meet you later. I actually met you at Jason's house. Well, um, I had known about you because when you had been at Curb. <laughs> I'm still at Curb. Fi- are you? I was a- <laughs> Everybody's at Curb that goes there. They never leave. <laughs> But when Evelyn and I were at Asylum, and we were the first women to ever run a label, the woman who hired us was Sylvia Rohn. And she was a a really brilliant, tough woman uh, who was known a lot for her R&B. Like, she found Little Wayne and hip-hop and stuff like that. Missy Elliott. Missy Elliott. She runs Epic Records now. She does run Epic. Like our boss somehow. (laughs) I know. I remember, boy, we were so nervous to have her come down here when the cicadas were here. <laughs> <laughs> the year of the terrible, terrible I cicadas. I just lost my microphone over that. The cicadas were attacking the private planes. Oh. See, because they get attracted to the was on the private plane. So, you know, we were trying to, I was trying desperately as the head of A&R to think of someone interesting for her to sign. And all I could think of was that I had talked to What's his name of the guy that now manages Ronnie? Galbraith? No. Uh, Bertstein. Bertstein, that's right. Whoever that is. Thank you. And <laughs> that's Clint. <laughs> oh, it's Clint. <laughs> no, Clint doesn't manage Ronnie Millsap, but Bertstein <laughs> did. Yeah. And I remember he called me up and he said, why don't you get Sylvia Rohn to sign Ronnie Millsap? And I thought, well, that's interesting. I <laughs> mean... Well, she didn't think so, and I so and I said to her. But Susan handled Ronnie Millsap for years, so she had a big, big relationship, relationship with him. It's not like just you know. Why and he was a him? wonderful, wonderful guy, and he can sing great. So land the plane on this one. What happened with Sylvia Rome? So I called Sylvia up, and Sylvia had three assistants to get. If you wanted to get through to Sylvia, you had to talk to all three assistants. And I said, Sylvia, you know, Bert Stein was here this morning, and she was like. Great. And I said, what do you think about, you know, we could sign Ronnie Millsap. And she was like, fuck a bunch of Ronnie Millsap. And she scared the hell out of me. I threw the phone up in the air. Now, I have to say, in Sylvia's defense, that when I met Sylvia Rohn about a year ago, I was nervous as hell. She does, she's very intimidating. Yeah. She's a really... Oh, my God. And, and I just started... I was like, we, we have a friend in common, Susan Nadler. And Evelyn Schreiber, she was like, oh, gosh, how are they? And then I got so, in my head, I thought that story would be funny to tell. No, you did. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. No, you did. Yes, I did. Yes, he did. <laughs> she remember? She said, she laughed really hard. She said, I know that that is really funny. I do not remember saying that about Ronnie Millsap. And I really love Ronnie Millsap. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, I was sweating. Because what so happened was... So was I, the I, whole time we were signed. I was, 
Oh, my God. So full circle with the Sylvia Roan uh, moment. Oh, but, I um, didn't know you mentioned that to her. I did, yeah, yeah. And she, she, I would like to say that she denied it. She, did, she didn't emphatically deny it. She just said, I don't remember that. Uh, she doesn't remember anything about any of the, the country thing. Yeah, no, exactly. she yeah, didn't exactly. even know not, nothing about country. She was waiting for me and Evelyn to discover, like, the new Garth Brooks. Right. Or Taylor or something. Or Taylor. Jason. But it was not Ronnie Millsap, even though I love Ronnie Millsap. What do you think is different about today in country music than when you guys ran the world? There's not a lot of country music. Yes. <laughs> the first thing. What a great... <laughs> you know, but that's okay. Yeah. Things evolve right. and change. Yeah. And, you know, you can't cling to the past on everything. But, you know, I think that, that one of the good things is that the whole Americana thing seems to be opening up and allowing right. a lot of artists to, you know, have a space. It's always been there. No, I mean, but it, it wasn't as profitable as it is now. It profitable? You think it's profitable now? I think Sturgill Simpson and a lot of those people are making some money. That's right. Tori, Tori, Jason, yeah. Isabel, they're all selling Brandy, records. Carlisle. Yeah. So, I mean, that didn't exist when we were, you know, active. Um, Emmy Lou, Rodney Crowell. But they all came from established and they labels also had, that had they hits. Also had and Rodney Crowell had five number one records country off of hits. an album. That really, I think those people that you mentioned now would be country artists mm-hmm. if, then. If mm-hmm. the format would, would play country music. Right, right. But they don't, so... You know, but at least they found a place. Yeah. Which is nice. I don't think that they're country. <laughs> oh, they're not. They're American. <laughs> Whatever that is. <laughs> what <I> mean, is that? <laughs> it's Jason Isabel. It's Virgil Simpson. So earlier you were talking about Randy Travis and you had... Uh, Martina was sharing a story, one of her favorite stories that you guys have told. Uh, and it, it just made me laugh to think that the story you told about Randy Travis, and I want you to tell what it was like for Randy Travis when people thought that he was gay. And uh, it's ironic that... Oh, that's Evelyn's were, story. Yeah, we'll tell it. Well, are you sure? Oh, yeah, it's fine. Well, I, I, you know, I mean, Randy wasn't gay, and, you know, there seems to, and is, there's nothing wrong with being gay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, my God, I'm <laughs> And everybody has their place, but that wasn't his particular thing. And <laughs> country music back story. then was a different world, as we all know, and, and you know, it wasn't quite as out and open as it is in recent times. Um, and truthfully, Randy was not gay, and he was kind of shocked because, you know, all artists, particularly at that level of success that he had that young and that fast and that kind of... Uh, huge in the nature of the business thing that they had, which was, you know, fairly isolating. It came to him out of nowhere. You know, all of a sudden, you know, he sees, you know, the Inquirer or the Star or people kind of whispering about it. And uh, Why do you think people thought that? I, you know, I think that there one, that. he had Why a great body and he was really buff. And I think that they preferred to think that he was gay than that he would be with this older woman, mm-hmm. which was, you know, the other option. He didn't date people. Nobody ever saw him with them, anybody. So I think it was hard to believe that this, you know, hot young guy would, 
you know, be sleeping with this old woman. But back then, they said everybody was gay. Clint Black was gay, Randy Travis. Well, they each had their moment for, you know, a few months where they were really the focus. Randy, unfortunately, was the focus right during CRS. And he chose to address it by, you know, and didn't discuss it with me or his manager or anybody. He just took the the mic, you know, at the uh, radio conference and told everybody, you know, I recently saw that... Uh, the newspapers are writing that I'm gay, and I just want to let you know that I'm not. Just like that. And I thought it was a very brave thing to do, you know, particularly without, you know, advice from the label or attorneys or anybody. He just took it upon himself. But no one believed it. <laughs> <laughs> did, did, did you ever discuss it with, like, Jim Ed? What? Whether, you know, the people thought Randy was gay. With Jim Ed? Yeah. No. He was the head of the label. What was he going to do about it? I don't know. He could, have, <laughs> he could have had some, you know. These res- people knew. I mean, they knew him well enough to know. And, you know, I wasn't going to tell them anything they didn't know. Are y'all going to do um, a second season? Well, we hear that the label heads <laughs> That's right. have indicated that could be the case. What flavored popcorn in the next one? Well, I don't know. We could do Italian, East Indian, <laughs> Captain Tony, Mac- Mexican, Captain Tony. And you know, the thing is, I went to uh, Colonel Sanders' attorney. His name was Attorney Cerny. <laughs> <laughs> and I said to him, I think that we ought to try to take this flavored popcorn national. And he thought it was a good idea. This is before, you know, flavored popcorns were so Yeah, this was rampant. in the 70s. And we th- I thought that he could take the flavors, put them in little packets, and sell it with various drinks, mixed drinks, like margaritas, like, you know, daiquiris, like all that stuff. And he loved that idea. Sadly, he idea. had a heart attack yeah. and dropped dead before we took <laughs> was very sad. I thought I was going to make my fortune with my popcorn. <laughs> so, uh, it didn't work. I'm just going to steal your stuff. Because you can't. You're not a- asking any of your questions. No, no, go ahead. I already stole your land the plane. He always says that to Susan. <laughs> so I'm just land and the I plane, said, Susan. land the plane, Susan, and he looked at me. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. I get nervous. So, uh, how did your years um, in prison prepare you for the country music world? Well, Mexican music <laughs> is very close to country. It is country it is. close to country. They talk about the same things. They talk about the family. They talk about, you know, love and falling in love and drinking. God and drinking and trucks. Really? <laughs> huh. <laughs> Mikado. <laughs> is that truck? No, truck? it's a car. I don't remember what truck is. <laughs> okay. But and and the Mexican people. Did were... you say Mikado? <laughs> I, I, I was like, that does not sound right. That is not right. <laughs> we once did a. Spanish album that we were going to market to all these, you know, oh, Spanish kids, and we had, you know, and, and poor Raul Malo from the Mavericks recorded it for the us. The brilliant singer, And Raul. he had to record every track, and he had to sing every part, and it was just a, a real Tell pain the in the name ass of the album. labor, I'm sure. 
And you don't remember. Huh? What's, What's the, the name, name of the album? album? El Constionaria de la Familia, the songs of my family. We thought we were really we were gonna on make to something. A ton of money. We were so excited. <laughs> we did not make a lot of money, but, but we see, thought. <laughs> but see, we telemarketed it on uh, Univision. We telemarketed, and we started getting all these phone, phone calls. calls. Yeah, I remember. And Susan, that. being our token person that had been in a Mexican prison, <laughs> was going to talk on the phone to everybody. Well, I hope not in Spanish. No, no, it's Mikado. She never. I don't know if Michael Campbell's still in here, but yeah. every day. It would be Susan in her Spanish for about 10 seconds and everybody. <laughs> Interpreting. I had a good dictionary. But the thing is that, you know, there's all different Spanish people in the United States. Michael was adding something. What did you say? No, I was just going to say, we had something written down that Raul's aunt wrote down. Oh, kooky. <laughs> so the people across the country, hola. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Raul is a real fantastic singer. Yes. La Cucaracha. <laughs> that was one of our big songs. But I thought that, you know, we thought that we were going to make a killing. You know, you could have either... Uh, the songs you wanted to share with your family that you knew back in the country. <laughs> like your family, didn't they sing songs for you? Wouldn't you like to share them with your kids? And it's a good idea because there's so many Spanish people here. Spanish people from Mexico, you know, other Spanish people from Cuba, but they all have different songs and they all have different. And we covered them all. But we did. <laughs> we had a songbook and we had flags from every country. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. And Raul had to do the whole thing. He did. <laughs> Raul did the whole thing. He got his family to sing and, it and his and sister. And his wife Betty did the cover work, you know, all wow. the artwork. Did well, you just make any money book. on it? Are you kidding? I kept saying to Michael, we're going to be so big, we better go out and find more warehouse, <laughs> warehouse space to store. And we kept sending them out. People would call up and they'd want them. But I, you know, I didn't think that they would not pay for them. But meanwhile, we started getting thousands back. <laughs> we, so y'all did need the warehouse. We did. Michael and I would go to the post office and there would be hundreds of these albums back. Well, I know. But was so, we were so encouraged. We had but just, it's not because of any of the reasons that you're thinking. It's because Susan insisted that we had to offer checks. That and, we had to accept checks. Credit cards. Well, these people don't have credit cards by and large. And checks were, you know, so... They would go COD. That's what she insisted. We have COD. That's because the well, Malico people told to us get, that we should have COD. But nobody's home to, to sign for it or to pay for it. So we've gotten off track. Um, <laughs> I wanted to use Malacar as our partners. Malico is a great label in <laughs> that, Mississippi. That does not get us back on track. So, nah. um, would you say it was wilder in the day than it is now? Oh, yeah. Well, at least for us. <laughs> Talk about that. Well, we just thought anything went. We also did an album on fishing. No, and we, no we're not talking wow. about no. the albums. 
Yeah, well, I thought we also work for ourselves, and that makes a big difference in what you can get away with. If we had worked for a corporation or something, I'm sure we would have ended up differently. But, you know, calling your own shots, and I always believed in having my own business. I mean, I was really surprised myself when I took the asylum thing because, you know, I didn't... You know, I like to do, you know, things the way that I like to do it, not necessarily right, but I'm willing to pay the price if I'm wrong. And, you know, you can control your own fate, so that enabled us to be wilder. And a lot of the people we worked with were, you know, a bit renegade in terms of understanding that feeling. Mm -hmm. You know, and our clients, Willie was certainly, you know, a renegade. The people that he worked with, his manager, everybody, you know. The highwaymen, look at the highwaymen compared to the people now. Yeah, I mean, who do you, you know, you'd think that was an interesting day, you know, spending time with the highwaymen versus, you know, whoever. Think about that, <laughs> Willie, when you started working with Willie, he was owed the IRS millions of dollars and you had to pay, you know, you had to help him. pay it. <laughs> you had to help him sell the, uh, what was it called? The IRS record. And the IRS tapes who by my memories. Uh, so you talk about all these icons and you certainly worked with, so many. Um, who do you think, if any, is an icon today in the making? Oh, I thought you were going to say still from back then, because all of them are still like No, absolutely. Is there, is there someone that fits that, uh, you know, the, maybe whatever the list you think that, that makes up what an icon will end up being? Sometimes we can't see that when we're in the midst of a career until later. I agree. Sometimes later. we can't see that. Is like, the- I can't see one. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, and I mean, maybe he's already considered an icon to a degree, you know, and, and there's different ways to kind of, you know, f- create your, you know, success base. But I think that Kenny Chesney, with what he's, con- he's achieved, you know, with the stadium shows, I mean, that is mind-boggling. It is. I mean, the people that we're talking about that we all accept as icons. Mm-hmm never in their lifetime could have sold those tickets. I mean, it's such a different business today than it was then, you know, and, and Kenny deserves every bit of, of credit for being an icon as those other guys did in a different way. So other than that, you know, I mean, maybe time will tell, but I don't see a lot of people, you know, carving out that much new territory. I mean, I like Tim McGraw a lot, and I think I like he, Tim he too. will be. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I love Chris Stapleton's stuff right now, but he's almost too new to me to have necessarily been entrenched. There's no Willie. There's no Christofferson. Christofferson arguably changed all of country music writing. Absolutely. He I was agree. such a poet. And, you know, there were poets before, but, you know, not. I mean, I think Hank Williams was really a poet, but nobody really knew it then, and he didn't know it either. Well, um, I think that's a, a sort of a great moment to just say how much of icons we think you guys are and how truly honored we are to be doing this with you and appreciate that people came tonight, but mostly just really the, the um, generosity of your stories and your truths is so necessary because we don't have enough of the tradition to hold on to. That's why I wanted to listen when Clint, you know, let me listen to you tell stories because 
that's what I want to hold on to. And I'm so glad that you guys have agreed to really open up your hearts and your stories and your memories to this. And I definitely hope that we get to do more of it. And um, just appreciate everybody coming tonight to celebrate the Shady Lane. Yeah, for sure. Love you, Jason. Yeah. Do you want to open it up for questions, Shane? Couple. She did already show me the. Yeah. Do we do we want to open? Is it, if anyone has any questions for Susan and Evelyn. What do you think, or how much would you want to be a PR person for a person in the music business nowadays, where everything is so instantaneous with social media, and if something happens, it's right then, right there, published, and you've got to deal with it on the back end rather in the olden days where you sometimes you were at least afforded like a, a phone call first saying, hey, this is about to break. I think it must really be scary. I don't know how people deal with it. You have to deal with it so quickly, you know, but the truth of the matter is usually your first thought is the one you're going to go with anyhow. So you can overthink things so many times that, you know, you can just kind of go with what it is. And it seems to me it's such a, uh, you know, like a, Twitter, you know, tiny amount of print thing that it's almost easier. You don't have to sit there and write a two-page release about what happened. You can just put out a sentence, and that sentence can go everywhere, and then you're done. I don't know. I think that uh, a lot of the R&B artists are more into using social media to create, like, a movement than anybody else's. I mean, I think, you know, I look at artists like T.I., and I look at artists like, I mean, you know, that, uh, you know, they, they see what's going on socially. And I think that they have so much of a harder time that they create a movement. And I don't think anybody, you know, I don't think many people are doing that. I think Taylor Swift is doing that, and she gets nailed for it. But she created a movement, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, let's... Any, any other questions? questions? It would be scary. Taylor Swift doesn't really need a publicist. She's a publicist. What? He said he'll let her publicist know that. Hello, ladies. I want to know if you think there's an opportunity Hello. for women to run a label again. Huh. Well, I do. I do too, you know, and I think that there are many women running labels around town. I and not necessarily just in country music. I mean, when I just saw, you know, a billboard issue that was just full of like, you know, different companies and heads of companies, and I guess it was like the issue of the woman or something. And there were tons of uh, women that, that have different kinds of labels. I didn't see any. But not in Nashville. That's right, not in Nashville, because Nashville, the good old boys, still control a lot of Nashville. You have to be in a town where they're they're more creative. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we're going to take one more question. (laughs) (laughs) Make it a good one. (laughs) If anyone has one. If I have any question. So, if we're going to do a second season, what can we expect in the second season? Irreverence. <laughs> <laughs> and guests. We're going to have a few guests. More some guests. guests. Yeah. yeah, some guests. And we're thinking, you know, not necessarily, you know, not that we won't have, you know, a star or two if they stumble in, but, 
you know, I think that the nature of what we've been doing and, and what seems to be more interesting to people is to get other people, you know, from behind the scenes that have gone through a lot of this stuff and that know the stories and are funny and, you know, that we can have some laughs with. Like who? <laughs> <laughs> Like Michael Campbell, yeah. like Tony Michael Conway, Campbell. like Shane, I like Jason, it. like Clint Iam. There are tons of people, like Shauna Strasberg, who's here, and you know she reminded me of some horrible stories about the first day of <laughs> well, let's Asylum, get her in. and uh, how I told the staff that I wasn't nice. <laughs> Well, first of all, they had fired everybody at Asylum. But we so. hired them all back. But, but we couldn't open nice. the door because we didn't know how to work the keys and we didn't know how to work the switchboards. So wait, what did that have to do with what? <laughs> I don't remember. What was that? <laughs> It'll be the second season. will be a different yeah, stories with different people. <laughs> And, you know, we were thinking maybe we could get Raul to come and tell about his great experience making our Spanish Spanish record. (laughs) The the fishing record was also very interesting. (laughs) Well, we got to have material for the second season. That's right. All right. So thank you all again. Thank you guys very much. Thank you. the whole team and Robert who's just he has the worst of the job because he has to figure out what we've talked about <laughs> he's been our editor and he has been fantastic yeah. we appreciate you Robert <laughs> thank you guys <laughs> oh, you